0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Vision. This is Greg Nielsen, President and CEO of Nielsen Training and Consulting, where we work with nonprofit organizations nationally in areas including board governance, strategy, and organizational development. Today is a, uh, an extra special podcast episode. We're going to be talking about a topic that impacts many, if not most, nonprofit organizations across the country, and that's fundraising and specifically auction items, um, for your event and your, your charity. Um, and I'm pleased to be joined by Callie Dunn. Callie is the director of development and strategic initiatives for a company called AmFund. Callie, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Greg. I'm so excited to be here and appear on an episode of Nonprofit Vision. This is such a great resource for the nonprofit community, so thank you for all that you do.
0: I appreciate you making time to join us today, and it's going to be a good conversation. Um, But first, maybe tell us a little bit about what is AMFUND, what does it stand for, and what does the organization do?
1: Yes, that's a great question. Well, the American Fundraising Foundation is a very unique organization in the fact that they are a nonprofit whose mission is literally to raise funds for other nonprofits. So often, you know, you think of like a United Way or an organization similar to that, where you raise, you know, pass-through funds to give to nonprofits maybe for certain grants or they can apply for a grant through your program. But with the American Fundraising Foundation, otherwise known as AMFund, it 's unique because the funds we end up providing to nonprofits are unrestricted, so that 's so important to the nonprofit community that you know they have funds to hire for payroll or keep the lights on so uh, with the American fundraising foundation we 're able to support nonprofits in a very broad, unique way, and how we raise those funds for them is through their event fundraising components so auctions you know are huge components of events that comes up all the time for us. Um, so nonprofit partners will ask us to help, you know, support their auction. Do we have any input? Can we provide auction items? And then we're happy to do so and you know help raise them unrestricted funding through their fundraising event. So you know it's very unique because we are located. Our headquarters are in Central Florida, but we support nonprofits all over the country. So we're really able to see these trends and what's working for someone in California, maybe someone in Tennessee's never thought of, and we're able to kind of act not only as, you know, event fundraisers for our nonprofits, but as bridge builders and, you know, sharing connections and resources with our nonprofit partners across the country. So it's an amazing organization. Uh, They're celebrating their 20th anniversary this year, and we're just You know, we're so excited to be able to help all the nonprofits that that we are helping this year.
0: Callie, in a few minutes, we're going to I want to talk a little bit more about auction items, because as I as I'm on social media, I see so many nonprofit development directors, executives um, really wrestling with how to create and produce an auction that's going to be profitable. Um, for their fundraiser, for their organization. And I want to talk a little bit about some tips for those organizations. Um, first, though, tell us a little bit about your own background. How did you come to uh, AmFund? How did you get involved in this work and get the experience um, that you have in, in um, nonprofit fundraising?
1: Well, I always attribute, you know, my nonprofit background to being a Brownie Girl Scout in the second grade. <laughs> <you know>, <laughs> it all starts start young, right? <laughs> Yes, right. Being out in the community, my parents really, you know, wanted to instill that philanthropic, you know, soul within me. And I I think they did a great job. And it's definitely followed me. So flash forward quite a few years from being a second grade brownie, I ended up working for a local Girl Scout Council in Florida, and then eventually GSUSA, and got to do some amazing training and onboarding of new councils with it was just it was a great experience um, with you know the mission that they have so I've always had you know a passion for the youth and that you know they are our future leaders so uh, when I found AmFund it was it was almost like the just most organic amazing connection because instead of just devoting my heart and soul to one organization that does have an amazing mission like Girl Scouts with AmFund I can now support so many different missions. One day I could be, you know, working on the conservation of some land, the next day I could be raising funds for a humane society, and the next day we could be working with the foster children and raising funds for their cause. So it's, it's such a unique opportunity, and it, it just, you know, you sleep so great at night knowing <laughs> the impact that you're able to make, uh, not only in your own, you know, local community, but nationally as well. So I was not a, you know, professional fundraiser by any means before I came to AmFund. I definitely spoke the nonprofit language, but my role prior was not in development. So I'm so thrilled to be able to have the opportunity to learn from our founders, Wade and Barbara West. Um, They, you know, they were reporters in the news. And as, as most charity events go, you try and get a local MC, you know, someone in the news, someone... Uh, locally recognized. And as, as that happened, you know, they went to all of these fundraising events and really saw what nonprofits were doing right as far as fundraising. And you know, they garnered that information and then they really noticed what kind of was being left on the table. So flash forward 20 years later, they have this amazing fundraising foundation and I'm, I'm so happy to be able to learn from them and really harness you know, their 20 years of knowledge and you know, grow it and take it to the next level.
0: So, Callie, when I was a nonprofit CEO, um, you know, we had uh, fundraiser events as well, and we had live auctions and silent auctions. And I remember my team and I running around town trying to gather as many auction items as possible. I wasn't aware back then that there were groups, other nonprofits like yours, that partner with nonprofit organizations. How do you view the partnership between AmFund and the nonprofits that you work with?
1: um, I view it like, it's so, so, so important. You know, we have a saying, uh, 501c3s unite just because we realize, you know, being a nonprofit, we don't fundraise for ourselves, which is pretty unique. So we just support other nonprofits regionally, locally, nationally with their fundraisers. But as, as that happens, you know, we see the competition of donors, you know, you know, if we're working with multiple nonprofits in Louisville or multiple nonprofits in Auburn, Alabama, you know, we see that the same donors are coming to these fundraising events. So it's very important that nonprofits partner and, you know, harness their resources together. And because the competition is so cutthroat out there. And, you know, there's so many nonprofits doing the great work. So if we are able to support them, it's, it's amazing. It's almost like a unique form of sponsorship, but we, we also look at it as a partnership because we want to, you know, help share their message, help support their cause, really speak speak their mission. And it's amazing because we get to learn about all of these unique missions maybe we wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise. But I think, you know, nonprofits partnering together and, you know, putting resources together to do the same great work is so important because we, you know, the donor base is is the donor base, and so sometimes philanthropy can be a little bit cutthroat, too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you, I, I, we are lucky to have you on the podcast, and so I am going to use our next several minutes together to really pick your brain on auctions uh, to benefit our nonprofit organizations that are listening right now. The first question I have is, for many nonprofits, you know, they're gathering auction items, and sometimes they will use those in a silent auction and sometimes they will use those in a live auction what are you what is your advice for making decisions based on what is a, what is a valid silent auction item and what would be better as a live auction item
1: right that is a great question so many nonprofits face that when it comes time you know sitting around there uh, gala committee table or their auction committee table, and really putting their heads together on yeah, these those are
0: hotly hotly contested debates
1: <laughs> oh my goodness yes well it 's really important that you have input from a committee I mean having you know a whole event rest on one development director or one event manager is so much pressure. you know we realize that nonprofits are relying on these funds for their bottom line, so the funds do have to be raised, but yeah, many hands make the work much, much faster. So it's important to gather a strong committee when you're making these decisions because they know the donor base, right? It should be your board members and your sponsors that are inviting their friends and their community members that they know. So, you know, the more people that you have uh, helping you with this event can definitely help make the decisions go a little bit smoother. And, and, probably end up being more successful. So as far as looking at a silent auction versus a live auction, a couple things that are important to look at um, really are to make sure that you have a strong MC and a strong benefit auctioneer that you're working with. Often, you know, it's it's a great idea nonprofits think to have, you know, a notably recognized board member or maybe someone in their community do the live auction. But you know, it's it's very important that a benefit auctioneer has those skills, you know, not to necessarily rile people up and call people out, because we've definitely seen that a time or two from some uh, <laughs> aggressive auctioneers. But you want to, you know, keep the mission of philanthropy alive during the auction and really remind everyone, you know, why they are there and why they're bidding on these auction items. It really it's not so much about the auction item, even though it is because usually live auction items are these great, you know, once in a lifetime experiences or tickets or vacations. Um, but it's really important to keep, keep the mission going. And so we always recommend, you know, working with a benefit auctioneer if you're going to pursue a live auction at all. Oftentimes, you know, nonprofits don't even pursue that dependent upon how experienced they are with their fundraising event, you know we'll see galas grow and maybe not do a live auction until year three or year five, as you know, they're growing their their donor base and growing their attendees of their event. Uh, But silent auctions too, I've seen so many nonprofits just kind of start to shy away from them because it is so much work, right? It is, you know, really beating the pavement, trying to get those donations, all the last minute items, putting together lucrative baskets. And so, Many nonprofits have just grown tired of them altogether, So that's why it's so important to have that committee so it's not all on one person. Uh, I don't know how many times one person can, can make the same donation ask over and over and over again. So having that committee is really helpful in making decisions and garnering those great auction items.
0: Now, Kelly, I know from talking to you prior to the podcast today, um, you've told me there is a magic number of auction items, that there's a formula for nonprofits to use. And I am very curious, and I know our listeners are as well. What is the magic number of auction items?
1: This is such a great question, you know, and so many nonprofits think that the more items, the better, but that's just not necessarily the case, really. You know, what's the goal with an auction? The goal with an auction is to raise the most funds possible on each item. So if you have 200 items and you have 200 people, the reality is there's not going to be competitive bidding because everyone could essentially walk away with their own item, potentially for the minimum bid if, you know, there was an item that interested each individual person. So that's what we don't recommend. We don't recommend, you know, getting as many items as possible to have the largest silent auction and boast about how your event had a 200-item silent auction. That is not the goal. The goal is that competitive bidding, that aspect of urgency, the, the mission to raise funds for a great cause. So, really, from our twenty years' experience, uh, what we've we've garnered the magic number of auction items to be has to do with the number of attendees present. So, typically, attendees come to fundraising events in couples. You know, usually you buy a ticket for two or a table for ten or a table for eight. So, typically, people are coming in twos. They're coming in couples, and sometimes those couples are referred to as buying units. So you usually want one item per four buying units. That's how you create the most urgency and excitement and competitiveness amongst your guests. So otherwise, that's one item for every eight individuals. This way, there is a good chance that they're going to have to outbid each other and fight for the item they want because potentially there would be eight bidders on one item or four couples on one item. So... We do have a blog that goes into much more detail about this on our website um, under our blog section. So it's, it's great. There's a whole formula. It breaks it down with, you know, the number of attendees divided by two to create those couples and then divided again by four. So it ends up, you know, being one for every eight people, which is, is a little secret of success, you know, when it comes to prepping for your event and your fundraising auctions. That way you can prep, you know, if you have mobile bidding or prep the correct amount of space and not be uh, really struggling over those final auction items because sometimes less is more.
0: And I think that that's the important takeaway for folks who are listening today is that sometimes it's not about gathering as many auction items as you can, but really focusing on the quality of the items and making sure that they are items that are going to be desirable um, for your attendees that, that are tailored to those who are likely to be attending your auction. Yes. Kelly, tell us a little bit about some of the trends that you see in auction items.
1: Yes. Well, it's so interesting, you know, working all over the country. It's almost the same. And then you see some very different items that catch your eye and you try and, you know, kind of uh, transport those ideas into what would work for another region. So I love being able to travel and witness these trends. You know, Talking with all of the development directors I support or the volunteers who are the event chairs for their galas, time and time again, they are seeking travel. They always tell me, you know, oh, I saw this at another organization. How did they put something like that together? And it's really unique because, you know, they're learning from each other at the same time, which is what we're all about, you know, with 501c3s uniting. So, so often, time and time again it 's it 's travel they really want the next greatest, best experience for their donors, which I think is amazing because that really shows you know they want their donors to get something for their giving you know they they put so much time and energy into this auction it, it could potentially you know be very fruitful for them, like an open ask uh, if they have you know significant auction items so often we, you know, we're hearing about travel, we're hearing about, you know, once in a lifetime experiences, maybe sports tickets to things like, you know, the masters and things like that that are, you know, very widely known and very popular. Uh,
0: That's an important point. I think that um, particularly with you know with with the rise of e-commerce and and how you know things like amazon are at our fingertips where we can more easily buy things than ever before the uniqueness of experiences including travel as an auction item seems to have grown would you agree with that
1: oh absolutely and you know the unique thing with nonprofits offering any form of travel in a silent or live auction is that travel is another opportunity right it's not a wine pull. It's not a raffle ticket. It's not participation in the photo booth or whatever other like gift card polls are there at the fundraising event. Travel is something the donors were typically going to do anyway. You know, if they're bidding even on a local staycation, maybe it's because they're looking forward to their anniversary or a birthday or, you know, their annual family trip. So it's it's a, it's almost like a pocket of money that they were going to spend anyway, and you at your fundraiser just offered them a chance to still make that purchase they were going to make, but now do it with a philanthropic component of a donation back to the organization.
0: And I think one of the trends that I've seen, and I remember again back to, back to when I was fundraising for my organization, we were dependent on, when it came to travel and trips, we were dependent on who was in our network so whether a certain board member had a condo or had a house or um you know other availability of auction items and i think one of the trends i've seen is with the rise of groups like yours is the ability to go out and procure those types of items without having to rely just on who's in your network of board members
1: exactly no and you know not all nonprofits are even that lucky to have board members of that philanthropic stature that will offer up condos or offer up timeshares or whatever it may be. So, some nonprofits don't even have that resource to begin with. So, it's really, you know, important that they, you know, unite with other nonprofits like ours who do have the resources to help provide that for them. And it, you know, we're only an addition. We really want the nonprofits to still if they do have those board members you know, still connect with them, still allow them the philanthropic opportunity. But often, you know, we don't want the winning donors to have to go back and be like, okay, I won Sally's condo. Now, when can I go? You know, sometimes that falls back on the nonprofit and they have to end up doing more follow-up after their event than maybe even, you know, it might spend more time with that than the funds raised were actually, you know, for. So, Sometimes it's almost a catch-22, but it's, it's great opportunities you know, for people to engage with their board members, engage with their communities, and then still connect with other nonprofits for resources like this when needed, just to help maximize their fundraising potential.
0: One of the other things that I saw recently at a fundraiser that I, I thought was absolutely brilliant was they had partnered with a group um, like yours that provided the trip and provided the planning services for the trip. And they had two distinct buying units, two distinct donors who really wanted that trip. And because of that partnership, they were able to sell it to both of those donors and double the amount of money. Do you see that as another trend in the industry?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. In a silent auction, it's great because you can almost do it on the sly, right? Like you congratulate the winner. Everyone's excited. You know, they're usually waiting to see who the final bid was and then, The person that was outbid will still stick around because, you know, they were really excited. They really wanted that. So they're going to check on their bid. And then you have the opportunity when you're working with national organizations of that stature like ours to still have another trip right on your back burner for that second donor. So then the funds raised are just doubled. My favorite way that organizations do this, though, are in those super exciting, urgent live auctions where you know they're working with a professional auctioneer, they've got the bidding up so high, and the auctioneer looks at both of you know the neck and neck bidders and offers them to either split the difference or if they both go up a thousand, they can both get a trip or whatever the auctioneer's trick is. The urgency in the room gets so high, you almost have goosebumps, and then you know the organization just doubled the funds raised. It's such an amazing feeling and such a great, like, element of excitement at a fundraising event.
0: Absolutely right, and I think it just raises the energy in the room also, and it encourages others to know that um, to know that that's possible. And I think one of the other things that you mentioned um, that certainly resonated with me is that when you are working with an outside group, a fellow nonprofit like yours, um, on these trips, is that you take on the follow up with the donor that wins it. I think one of the things that's always challenging for a nonprofit is if you're dealing just with one of your board members, is the logistics afterwards of who wins the trip and then having to connect that person with the board member, work on mutually agreeable dates. That's not really where you want to be spending your time and resources as a nonprofit executive.
1: Oh, right, absolutely not, no. We realize nonprofit resources and time are so limited as it is, especially when it comes to fundraising event time, whether it be their gala, their golf tournament, their 5k, whatever they do, that's already enough stress as it is. I mean, the follow-up, you know, just with tax letters and things of that nature, and then to have to worry about, you know, travel arrangements and uh, letting the donor know when the blackout dates are, and that that's just very unnecessary for someone in an event or development role to have to take on on top of everything they already do. So that's why we're happy to take that on and take that off of the nonprofit's shoulders, just knowing, you know, that we're, we're around, we've been doing this for 20 years and we guarantee all of our travel for three years. That could be a long time of a donor following up with a development director directly. So we're happy to uh, take that, take that off the nonprofit's shoulders and still allow them to raise funds through that mechanism. So it's, it's definitely a big job for someone planning all these events a year, you know, for their nonprofit and solely raising funds for, you know, their mission and their bottom line. So we're we're happy to step in there.
0: Next, I'd like to move Callie to placement of auction items. So I I am sure I don't know it, but I'm sure you do. There's a strategy behind. How to lay out your auction items, where to place certain items, um, and I'm sure it goes beyond just lining them up in lining them up in a row from one to a hundred. <laughs> Talk to us a little bit about the um, some of the strategy involved in placing auction items.
1: Oh, yes, Greg. No, we actually have a great blog about this that goes into great details on our website as well. But you know, often people think they should group similar items together. So let's say. They would do a table of sports packages and sports memorabilia, and then they would do a table of cooking packages, and then a table of uh, gift packages, gift cards, things of that nature. That's actually not the best strategy to raise the most funds possible. Yes, that's a strategy for people to go straight to the item they want and you know, potentially bid that one item up, but there's a good chance they're not going to go over to the other tables that didn't have that one item they saw online, you know, prior to the event that they were interested in. They're going to make a straight V line to the item they want and probably potentially ignore the rest of the auction. So we always recommend to mix the items together. You know, you do not want two similar items right next to each other. One, it creates unwanted comparison of side by side, potentially competition, you know, they could potentially jump to the other item if they saw the bids were lower. And that only raises you less funds. So we like if you had two sports jerseys, I would not put them side by side, you know, you want to dispense them amongst the room. So there's still excitement waiting in every corner for all the different flavors of auction items that donors are interested in. So uh, again, we don't like to group items together, which, you know, lots of nonprofits think is a great idea. They're missing out on funds because someone who was interested in a garden planter might also be interested in, you know, this amazing spa package and they wouldn't have looked at it because they weren't in the same quote unquote section. So we say, you know, don't do a section, just have them randomly together, Um, you know, creating excitement for all of the potential bidders throughout the room. Um,
0: Similarly, um, advocate spreading out items based on value rather than, you know, sort of ascending order or descending order of value.
1: Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, potentially not having just a gift card. So you don't want like a straight, oh, this is a $35 gift card. Well, you're going to cap out your bidding at $35. So we always recommend, you know, putting maybe some smaller value items together to create a more intricate basket or a more intricate package uh, to really up the excitement and up the bids for that item.
0: Excellent. And now, Callie, before we wrap up, I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, you you and I have spoken about the pockets of money that donors bring to a fundraising event. And obviously, we want to tap into all of the different motivations, all of the the ability uh, and capacity of our donors to give that night. What are those pockets of money that donors bring to a fundraising event?
1: Oh, that's a great question. So with your typical fundraising event, most people in the development field or in the fund development field are really focused on that philanthropic pocket. That's like where our heads are spinning on all cylinders. You know, we want our sponsors to give, we want people to give naming rights, we want the open ask to go great, we want all of these different fundraising elements at the event, maybe a wine pull, a raffle. Those are the you know, the philanthropic pockets people are coming with. So the second they buy a ticket to your event, the second they sponsor your event, the second they buy five for 20 raffle tickets, that's their philanthropic pocket. You know, they're bringing, they're planning, you know, this is a great fundraiser for my favorite foundation. I'm going to spend this much amount of money tonight. And that's, you know, what they're coming in mind to spend from their heart of philanthropy. And, you know, In the development field and the event fundraising field, people do a great job hitting on all cylinders for this pocket. The other few pockets sometimes get missed uh, with fundraising events, so that's why it's so important to highlight them to our nonprofit partners that they have the opportunity to really garner those pockets of funds from their donors as well. So the next pocket that would really show up at a fundraising event would be the ego pocket. So these are the people who are, you know, the who's who of the community. They want to show off potentially. Yes, they do want to support the organization, but sometimes these, you know, fundraising events are also about networking and being seen. And so those will be your ego bidders. You know, they'll bid the live auction up. Maybe they give a significant amount in the open ask. Uh, They'll tend to, you know, jump lines on the silent auction and bid items up or outbid their friends for the spirit of competitiveness. And that's great, you know, because they're still raising funds for your organization out of their ego, which is another great pocket to tap into. And then finally, what we mentioned earlier is their travel pocket. And so if you don't have any travel opportunities at your event, you're potentially just missing this pocket altogether, which is only another opportunity for giving and quite frankly, another Fabulous opportunity for giving because the donors are able to get something so great in return So really as long as you know nonprofits remember the three pockets of the philanthropic the ego and the travel They're setting themselves up for a great event and you know here at the American fundraising foundation We're happy to help nonprofits, you know, make sure that they they maximize all three of those pockets
0: Well, Callie, I appreciate you joining us on the podcast today and certainly sharing a lot of these insights um, and strategies for nonprofits. You've mentioned your blog. You've talked a little bit about AmFund. Um, For folks that want more information about um, what you do and and the more developed blog posts and strategies that you were talking about, how can they get in touch with you and AmFund?
1: Oh, absolutely. So our website is AmFund, A-M-F-U-N-D, org uh, we are 501c3 so it's dot org and our phone number is 407-895-8000 and we can be reached at uh, both of those sites the website and the phone number and we're happy to help nonprofits fundraise you know 501c3 has got to unite
0: <laughs> Callie absolutely I appreciate you taking the time to join us today and, and certainly appreciate your insights and wisdom
1: Yes, thank you, Greg. It was so great to be on this episode of Nonprofit Vision, and we look forward to sharing this with our network as well.
0: Absolutely. Again, this is Greg Nielsen of Nielsen Training and Consulting. You can always reach out to us at www.nielsenconsults.com. That's www.nielsenconsults.com. Look forward to upcoming episodes of the podcast as well. Thank you again, Callie.
1: Thank you.